Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says this, right after God has created man in his own image. And the, the final piece that puts together creation and makes it complete. He says, and the Lord God commanded the man. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. One thing that you're not supposed to do, don't push that button. These are the other things you're supposed to do. He tells the, the man he's to care for the garden. He tells, gives him the, the power, the control of naming the animals. And if you don't know a lot about the Old Testament, there's power in giving a name. It's the notion that you have control or authority over it in its life. And so kind of like a parent does with a child, right? And so he's given them the capacity to do that. He's allowed him to walk freely in what we know to be a beautiful, perfect place. God, in fact, has built this as his temple. It's his home. It's where he's going to reside and walk alongside. Man, can you imagine that? There's an innocence to it. And the innocence that comes with being like a child. And there's a rhythm of work and rest that, that most of us dream of. And yes, there was work in Eden. In perfection, there is still work. There's no illness, there's no war, there's no famine. And God says, all you have to do is this one thing. Don't push that button. I have built my temple, he says, you're in it. And I've given you nearly free reign in it. Just don't push that button. Don't eat from that one tree that will get us all killed. But we know that they did. We know that they did, and they introduced something into the creation for the very first time. They introduced death. Death is one of those things we don't want to talk about. We don't like to think about it. William Randolph Hearst, if you know who he was, he was a, a, a mogul a hundred and some years ago that was absolutely loaded with money, um, like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk level of wealth at the time at about a $200 million fortune. At age 75, when he was at the place where he recognized his time, his season here on earth was gonna to come to an end, the death was coming. Even at that time, he forbid anyone to say the word death in his presence. They were not allowed to say the word. He didn't wanna think about it. And even as he wrote the statement for his attorney to, to separate, to split up his will, for lack of a better term, he said, it, it says, Mr. Hurst has become conscious of the uncertainties of life. It's, it's a, the phrase he used instead of just saying he knows he's not going to be here much longer, that he's going to die. Death is going to happen. It is a certainty. Some people say death and taxes. Taxes may be, although people really, really try to avoid it. They try to avoid death too, but as of yet, that's not a thing, right? Physically, that's not a thing. We avoid talking about death because it's painful. It hurts, especially if you, you lose a loved one. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, as he's talking about how he's processing the death of his, his wife, someone he, he loves very, very much, the love of his life. And he says, death of a beloved is an amputation. It's like the removal of something, a part of who you are. It's also frightening. The, the truth is that beyond this physical realm, 
there's a whole lot we don't know, right? We don't know exactly what we're going to see, feel, how things are going to look, what's going to go on. And if you don't believe there's anything after that, I would strongly disagree with you. But we don't, either way, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And so it's frightening. It's scary. And so we try not to think about it. But the thing is, we need to. Sometimes we really need to process what that all means. The book of Ecclesiastes is, is said to be written by King Solomon at the end of his life. King Solomon had all the wealth you could ever possibly imagine, all the power, all the accolades you could ever possibly want or need, well, be way beyond need. He had everything. Wisdom, more than half the Proverbs are written by him or collected by him. And he gets to the end of his life and he's just reviewing everything he's said and done, everything he's chased and he's pursued and he's recognizing at the end as he's facing the reality of death, the uncertainty of death, the fear of death, the pain of death. He's saying to himself, none of those other things mattered. I, I really need to focus on the long, on the eternity, what this, what this looks like, what this is. That's the stuff that matters. He even says that we have to face that reality. We learn more about who we are when we face that reality of death. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, he says, It is better to go to a house of mourning, that would be to go to a funeral, than to go to a house of feasting, since it is the end of all mankind. We're all going to die. And the living should take it to heart, should recognize as we're living our lives that this isn't going to go on forever. And whether or not we refuse to think about it doesn't change that. The Bible actually talks about three different kinds of death. It talks about the physical death, the one we've kind of been walking through, right, that was introduced into the garden very, very obviously. Certainly you will die physically, but also spiritually. What occurred there in the garden, and we'll read about it in just a second, was a, a spiritual death, a separation from God. And then the Bible talks about the second death or an eternal death. It's dying separated from God and staying that way for all of eternity. Is, it, is that a punishment? Is it eternal punishment or is it, is it removal from existence? At the end of the day, the point is it's not being with God, which is exactly what we were designed for. And at the end of the day, it is not desirable. It's going to stink. It's going to hurt and be painful and be not what we would want it to be. Over the next several weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about death. The series is called The Sting, and it follows death and its sting from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to, we're going to recount its beginnings here today. The sting that it has on us, its reign and its multiple losses, ultimately with a final defeat through the work of Christ on the cross. And while you and I both probably want to jump to the end, <laughs> jump to the work of Christ on the cross. I, I, I think it's wise for us, as Solomon indicated, for us to stop for a minute and really ponder what it all means. Really ponder that reality that the death button has been pushed. 
that one button we weren't supposed to push has been, and now there's something here we were never supposed to experience. So we're going to read about that this morning. We're going to read in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to read about how this all went down and see what we can learn and try to understand what it introduced into this world along with death. And by the way, there's more. And also give us a little bit of a glimpse into where it could possibly head. So read along with me, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you can't eat from the, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at it, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. This is the first place we meet in the scriptures. We meet Satan disguised as a serpent. Um, and though we don't really know a ton about the origins of Satan, <clears throat> we do know that his intent is definitely adversarial to God's. His desire is to pull people away from God, and that's exactly what he's done here. We see him as a serpent, something Paul repeats a discussion of in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we see him referred to again in Revelation 12 as a dragon. In Revelation 20, verse 2, we see it together. We see the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan. I mean, it's the deceiver, the adversary, the accuser, the one who says God isn't God. The one who dry, tries to drive a wedge between God and man, and by the way, has successfully done that. And he demonstrates his character out of the gate right here. He begins with a deception. In chapter 3, verse 1, we just read it, he questions God's own words. He said, did God really say you can't eat from the tree of the gar any tree in the garden? And, and it's, a, it's a subtle question intended to kind of just break open the gates. And, and she says, no, 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 no. No, no, no. He didn't say that. That's not what he said. But if you notice something about her language, he's beginning to work into Eve's heart and mind there. She's starting to buy it. And I say that because she left out something we read originally in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, when he said you were able to freely eat everything else. And he, she left out the word freely and said, no, we're not allowed to eat this one thing. She left out the abundance that they were experiencing. So her brain has already shifted from recognizing how good they got it to FOMO or fear of missing out, right? He's managed to tilt her from being just in awe over what they have to wondering what they don't have. And isn't that really where deception begins? He then goes on to deny God's 
truth. He says, no, God said you're going to die, but that, uh, that's not going to happen. And that's different. The, the tone there where in verse 1 where he was suddenly just kind of trying to dig in and ask a question. Now he's emphatic. He's like, no, God's wrong. God did not tell you the truth. God is lying to you because he just doesn't want you to be like him. That's all there is. And then telling them that, and they're beginning to buy it. And I say they because it'd be really easy to chuck Eve under a bus, but mm, uh, they're a pair. They're one. They go together. We missed that part in our readings this morning, but the two have become one flesh. They are husband and wife. They are married. They are in this together. They make decisions together. And so he says to them that there aren't any consequences these consequences you thought there were going to be that God tells you there were, there were to your actions, to disobeying him, not there. They're not there. And so the, the fear of those consequences is gone and it leaves only an upside. You will be like God. You will be just like him. The person that created all of this thing that they're living in, that, they, that, that they've, they're in awe of, I can be like him? Yeah. Don't you want to be like him? And they say, yeah, I want to be like him. And off they go. And instead of becoming like God, they became enemies of God. We see that there's more than death introduced here too. We see that there's disobedience here. In verse 6, we see that. We see Eve is tricked. But, but you know, Adam chose Paul would later say that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, and Adam was not deceived. He, he chose to follow down that road, to go down that route. There's also something else introduced here besides disobedience. There's knowledge, knowledge that we were never supposed to have. And this should be a warning to us that knowledge doesn't fix everything. We'd like to think if we just knew more, right? If we just knew more about what it meant to walk with Jesus, our relationship with him would absolutely be better no matter what. If we just knew more about how the human body worked, we can probably stop this death thing from ever happening. There have been religious folks over the years that have, have indicated that, that knowledge, a special kind of knowledge, they were known as Gnostics, knowledge, right? That this special kind of knowledge would give you these special abilities and power and a connection to God that you could not have anywhere else. The knowledge was the pursuit. And modern technology is all about pursuing if we, the, the idea that if we just understand more, we'll have this all figured out. And the truth is, many of us have begun to believe we can educate ourselves out of needing a God out of having faith. The problem is that we are finite beings. We are called to live by faith in an infinite God. He also, in this passage, introduces shame. So we've got death introduced, we've got disobedience, knowledge, and shame. That sense that comes from lost innocence, right? The truth is they were naked before they ate of this tree and it didn't matter to them, right? You let two and three-year-olds run around together, they run around naked all the time. They run around the house naked, but you would never do that as an adult. Well, good, you shouldn't, 
but you've lost some innocence there along the way. There are things that you've learned as you've grown up, things that people have told you, some knowledge that you've gained that has caused you to be ashamed of being naked. Me too. Nobody wants to see that. But he's also introduced fear. Fear and a different kind of fear. We, 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 he said, look, you don't have any have to have any fear of dying. He said, that's going to go away. But he's replaced it. He's replaced it with fear of a relationship with God. That's why they hid. That's why they hid themselves and they tried to act like they were protected somehow when they didn't even feel the need to be protected before. Now they're in fear of having a relationship with God, of him seeing them for who they are. When he created them and he's been looking at them for who they are since the very beginning. No pretenses, no shields. This is just us together. If you feel these kinds of shame and fear in your life, you come by it naturally. Meaning that since somebody pushed the death button, our relationship with God has been damaged. Damaged beyond our ability to repair it. And the truth is, this has been an ongoing battle between humanity and death since the very beginning. As we walk through this series, we're going to learn and see where death has won in a couple of places. It's won some battles. But ultimately, we're going to see that it did not win the war. It did not win the war. And there's a little tidbit here in Genesis as well that shows us that they're not going to, it's not going to win the war, that Satan is not going to win. It, and a little further in chapter 3 in verse 15, when he says, look, this, and he looks at the snake and he says, this is not going to work for you because you did this. He says, I will put, in verse 15, he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your, at your head and you will strike at his heel. It's interesting here that he talks about the woman's offspring and Satan's offspring. Adam's offspring is not mentioned here. This is the first place that we might say, <laughs> we might say, the Bible is speaking of Jesus, saying her offspring, divinely inspired and created, is coming. And he's going to fight you. And you're going to nip at his heels and you're going to think that you've gotten it taken care of. But the truth is, you don't. You don't. The truth is that God has always been calling us back to be his people to return to this place of faith and trust, recognizing that he desires from the very beginning for us to be in relationship with him. We were built for that. And that though we pushed the death button, the truth is we can't undo it, but he can. And Jesus calls us to return in a way to this childlike innocence of faith and trust. He tells, his, he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that you must be reborn, reborn of spirit, a creation anew, a new baby to become something brand new, your spirit. 
And then he tells in Matthew 18, he says, as, he's, as his disciples are talking to him and complaining to him about how children are just running up to him without fear, without shame, without concern, and just running up to him, looking and seeking and desiring to serve him and know of him and grow in him and walk with him. He says, truly, I tell you, unless you, you disciples, turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Kids aren't perfect. If you've had them, you know that. They make mistakes. They push buttons they shouldn't push. But when we return to God in faith and in trust, the sting of death is removed. My hope and my prayer is that you'll walk through this with us in the coming weeks as you see where God has always been present, God has always been working, and God ultimately defeats death. And because he has, you can too. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.